Welcome to the latest episode of the Forward Thinking CFO, where we are continuing to explore sources of finance for businesses. My guest today is Pardeep Crowd, founder and CEO of Voyager Capital Partners. She's drawing on her experience from accounting, banking and private equity to provide cost-effective help to small and medium-sized businesses to help them drive growth and secure investment. In our conversation, Pardip shared lots of insight valuable to any size of business. So get yourself a coffee, sit back and enjoy the forward-thinking CFO with Pardip Crowd. So welcome Pardip to the forward-thinking CFO. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. To kick us off, um, perhaps you could give us some context by walking us through your career to date and the sort of key milestones that brought you to where you are currently. Yep. Thanks, Stephen. So I started my career at KPMG about 20 years ago now in audit, uh, where I qualified as a chartered accountant. And I was there until about 2006, seven. I then moved into banking at Lloyd's Banking Group, which was quite an interesting time, actually, when I first moved there, because it was during the downturn, the global financial crisis. So there was a lot happening within the bank, within Lloyd's, but also in every bank across the world. And that really shaped a lot in terms of where I am today. That specific period when I was there, I worked on quite a few large deals which were in the business support unit. So that was effectively a team that we assembled during that period where all the struggling businesses were within that unit. I worked on some quite chunky deals worth hundreds of millions. I then went on to work for the head of the global business support unit whereby we managed, I think it was about 180 billion distressed debt, so struggling companies within that. And we reported directly into the CEO of Lloyd's at that point. So it was a very, really interesting role in terms of seeing, you know, working with a lot of businesses that were struggling around the world in all different divisions, but also within the bank as well and how they dealt with certain issues and the, the, the perspective coming directly from the top of the bank, as well as the government at the time as well. After that role, so I was in that role for about three years, three or four years. Well, actually, initially it was um, about two or three years working on the ground with the businesses and then two years working with the global head. And after that, I went into private equity. And that was initially Lloyd's Development Capital, LDC, which is a mid-market private equity investor, which is actually part of Lloyd's Banking Group. And there I was in the investment team in London. Um, working on investments from origination all the way through to exit in the mid-market space. And then after that, I went to Gresham House PLC, which again, I worked as a fund manager in the private equity fund and the public equity fund. And that was specifically AIM, investing in AIM-listed companies. And then about two years ago, I set up my own business, which is Voyager Capital Partners. Yeah, that's a great step. So, so actually, it sounds like you're early banking experience was largely sort of turnaround situations was that, was that yeah okay so that, that gives you perhaps a, a slightly different kind of unique skill set in some respects and then going into private equity so how do those various different roles with you know well i guess starting out in audit and then going through that sort of turnaround experience in a banking environment then into private equity firms that gives you quite a, an interesting perspective. How does that affect your thinking when you're engaging with a company that's looking for investment? I think, to be honest, every role that I've had throughout my career has really shaped the advice I give now to clients, the way I work with them, interact with them, the advice I give. And I guess going through 
each kind of role that I've had. So when I was at KPMG, where I started as a graduate, that really kind of shaped, obviously, my kind of need to kind of look at numbers and read numbers and the story that the numbers tell, which is obviously essential in any business context, um, particularly when you're looking at investment opportunities. But also, actually, that was really the thing that was really important from KPMG is how important from a very young age was how important client relationships were are and building those client relationships and understanding every kind of role within that business and the critical part that they each of them play. And then going into Lloyd's Banking Group, that was certainly very, really shaped a lot of what, as I said earlier, really shaped my career. Working with distressed companies is, you know, it's difficult. It's very, very challenging, but then it gives you that viewpoint in terms of risk. So what risks do businesses face in, you know, the good times are great, but when the bad times come upon a business, how can businesses deal with those risks? How do they mitigate them? How do they quickly change their business or how agile are they in order to respond to any changes and negativity that comes towards them as a business? So I think that was really important in terms of my career and where the kind of advice I give now, because I'm very conscious about risk with a business. So it's not just kind of looking at, okay, this is great. You've got brilliant forecasts. Let's just see where the business goes. I think I've got a very strong overlay on top of that to say, okay, well, let's sensitize these numbers. Let's have a look at what happens when things go wrong. And are the management team able to see that business through not only the good times, but also the bad times, which I think is really important. And actually it's one of the key things for me that makes a very strong management team and management teams that can react to the bad times and understand how to pivot their business if necessary. So that was super important for me. Then I think obviously going into private equity is where, you know, you learn the fundamentals of what makes a business investable, what makes a business attractive to investors. So it's a very different viewpoint, I guess, in a recovery position in terms of the viewpoint that you take from there to an investment viewpoint. It's very, you know, both of them very different coming from fairly opposite ends of the spectrum. But again, over you have to overlay, I guess, all of these viewpoints in order to get to the right answer when you are looking at an investment opportunity. And I think kind of one of the key things actually it, within private equity that shaped what I'm doing now is the fact that within private equity in that scenario, I always kind of noticed the fact that the business was always effectively at a disadvantage in that negotiation situation because a business really needs the capital. They really need the investment. They feel privileged to be speaking to investors because they know how much value the additional capital will will add to their business and then enable them to accelerate their business. And I also saw the fact that private equity, the support that they offer is not only the capital, but they offer support in terms of helping the business owners shape their business to maximize shareholder value for a future exit. And I guess that's a skill set that private equity have in abundance in terms of how will that business be attractive to a potential buyer in the future and who will the buyers be, when will that be and what return will it deliver? Whereas business owners are very focused on their product and service, uh, rightly so. So I guess in terms of, you know, having that viewpoint is that only businesses, I guess, that are backed by private equity, once a private equity fund owns 50% or, you know, majority, a large majority of their business, only then does a business get the support of the private equity fund. 
And I guess at Voyager, we wanted to turn that on its head and say, well, actually, we want to support businesses now. So at the early stages, so when the businesses are small, when they need more support than at any other stage in their life cycle, because that's when most businesses fail, we want to offer that support in terms of enabling them to really focus a business on shareholder value, really focusing on how do you facilitate and grow your business sustainably and make it attractive to investors in the future. Well, there's a lot in there. <laughs> so some really interesting things that you, you, you said there, because uh, like you say, you can, you can look at a forecast and I see this in modeling as well. There's, it, it, uh, it's important that you know, those assumptions that that forecast based on are, are rigorous and, and checked out and you know, avoiding bias and all those sorts of things. And also there's a narrative that goes with the numbers, which um, I think all CFOs will probably recognize that. So, yeah, I mean, there's, we, we can explore some of that as we go through. That's really interesting. So um, part of what Voyager Capital Partners is about is helping businesses secure investment. But like you say, that's only part of your holistic approach to this, which is all about growth and so on. So how are you applying the disciplines you learned from your time in PE into those earlier stage businesses? What's that sort of conversation look like? So quite a lot, to be honest, in terms of you know, quite a lot of the skill sets that are used in private equity, I apply within to our clients within Voyager. Initially, so we will work with small businesses that we believe are highly scalable, and we believe will at some point attract investment or a successful exit in the future, depending on, you know, what kind of capital they raise during their life cycle. And one of the key things we do at the outset is assess the business. So we have quite a rigorous way of testing and assessing the business. So we assess them on various aspects. So their financials, their revenue model, the market, the competition. So we do quite a detailed assessment. We then use that assessment to review whether the business is in fact scalable and would be attractive to investors. Now, when we do assess them and score the businesses using our assessment tool, we know that they're not going to score 10 out of 10. It's just not going to happen. But there are certain aspects of the business whereby we know we can fix, whether it's it's necessary now to fix them or in the future, and whether or whether there are you know aspects of the business that we know just will not be fixable. So whether that's scalable, whether the market's big enough and you know things like that. So we'll start off initially and we feed back actually quite honestly to the businesses in terms of how they score and what the outcome is. And if it is, if we believe that we don't think the business is scalable actually and will be attractive as an investment opportunity in the future, we're quite honest about it. And we can also then work with the business to say, well, actually, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can actually change this aspect of your business, which will make it more attractive or maybe look at this. So we kind of leave them with really kind of our our viewpoint and they can do whatever they want with that kind of going forward. We then go on to, once we've successfully assessed a business and we start working with them, we will establish initially to build a really solid foundation within the business. So understanding what they have at the moment, what they need to build that solid foundation, whether it's their pricing models, whether it's the organizational structure, whether it's operations within the business. So we'll do a thorough assessment and work with them just to kind of get the low hanging fruit and make sure that the solid foundations are in place. 
We will then go on to build really detailed strategic plans with a business for growth, whereby we can see what the value of the business is today versus what we expect that to be in a year or two years. We help them with their forecasting, which we do quite rigorously. We review them quite rigorously and, you know, kind of build in various scenario planning. And the whole point about building very detailed strategic plans is that we want to be able to flex the plan. If we can see that something in the business isn't working, we can spot that very quickly and the management can spot that very quickly and we can make those changes and you know pivot the business or pivot the strategy however we need to. We then will work with the business in order to... So all of this is actually shaping the business for investment and to maximize shareholder value. When we feel the business is ready for investment to take it to market, we'll help them work on the investor decks, you know, getting them ready for these investor presentations. And actually, when we know the business is in a position that it is ready for investment, we we work with several investment partners. So these are angel investors, EIS and SEIS funds, VCs, private equity funds. And we will invite them to come and meet the business because we've done, I guess, the model that we have whereby we work so closely with businesses. It's not a classic private equity and investee company relationship where it's an us and them relationship. It's very much an us relationship. So we work so closely with the business that we get to know all the good points, all the bad points. We get to know the management team very, very well. We know every aspect of their business. Business, you know, the business owners come to us for to ask questions really on a daily basis about their business and decisions that they're taking. So it's effectively the amount of due diligence we do, we get to do on the business just by working closely with them is just immense compared to any private equity fund. So we will only go to market and introduce the businesses to our investment partners only when we feel the business is ready. And at that point, we will invite people to meet them because we believe strongly that it's a great investment opportunity. Yeah. And, um, when you, I know sort of businesses when they come to exit uh, will try to create some competition around who will be the buyer. Do you effectively do that as well at the investment stage then? Because you've got a company that's well prepared for that and it's going to be attractive. So yeah, you, yeah. So we definitely do. And I guess, again, the whole dynamic that Voyager, we are trying to create is give some power back to the entrepreneur. That's what we want to do ultimately. So that's by if we can help them and shape the business when they're small to make it appealing to investors, the business is in a much stronger position than it would be if it was kind of growing its product, selling its service, but not really thinking about the whole holistic shareholder value piece and going out to market and then chasing investors. So what we want to do is make the business as robust as possible and then invite investors in which then gives some you know control and power back to the business and it's also and I always really hi- I always highlight with the business owners and the founders that it's really important to get investors that culturally a good cultural fit for them because that relationship is an important relationship it's a long-term relationship sure so let's um, look at a couple of examples so you've worked had some really successful partnerships with Taylor Graham Bud auctions Fem Foundry and uh, rapid tapping. Can you sort of walk us through an example or two from, from that of how you helped support those businesses? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll take Taylor as an example, actually. So we started working with Taylor about over a year ago now. And the CEO of Taylor is just fantastic. And she worked in the fashion industry in production 
as a garment technician. So from kind of drawing the patterns out of dresses all the way through to production in the factories in India or Bangladesh, which is where she spent a lot of time. During her time as a garment technician, she noticed the huge room for error in production, in fashion, particularly in fast fashion, the huge amounts of waste that the industry produces, and also the time that is lost in going back and forth because of the inaccuracy of garments when they're made. And so she developed a piece of software in order to resolve this. So it's an absolutely game-changing piece of software in the fashion industry that will completely streamline production. And even though fashion has been around for, you know, centuries, there hasn't been much technical advance in production, which is really surprising. And, and of course, supply chains are much more extended now, aren't they? Exactly, exactly. So she developed a software in order to streamline, reduce production times drastically to massively reduce the room for the margin of error when producing garments and therefore reduce the massive amounts of wastage that the industry produces. So she's not revenue generating at the moment, but she developed the software. And when we first met her, I absolutely loved what she was doing. It's absolutely fantastic. And I've been working with her initially. So the way we initially started, we went through her strategic priorities for the key strategic priorities within the business. We looked at her revenue model. We looked at her pricing model. We looked at her forecasts. We looked at the types of clients that she will attract, what that service will look like. So rather than just providing software, what else can be provided and how will that be delivered? What the add-ons to the software will be? So what other aspects of that software would would customers want in order to make it beneficial comparing that to what's already out in the market why are we better than what's out in the market why are we different to what's out in the market what's happened to competitors in the market so we ha- we did a really detailed review because as a ceo as a new ceo and owner of a business you're very much focused on your product so i.e the software but you're not really looking or either have the time to look at what's going on around so we went through a lot of details in terms of the business she'd had some government funding as well so we went through all the legal documents in terms of what she can and can't do in terms of raising money in the future and we've worked in a lot a lot of detail with the business over the past year we're now at a point where the software has been tested so we took it out to the market market and tested it because i was very kind of keen that that before you go to market or go to investors we have to test the software and get the feedback and we've done that we've been doing that over the past few months and the feedback has been phenomenal so now we are going to go out to market but again we help get the investor deck ready get the financial models ready so effectively a mini data room ready before we go out to market and we also created an investor list. So, you know, I asked her and said, you know, what what do you actually want to have an investor? So obviously the first answer is obviously investment and capital. But then I kind of wanted her to realize that you can get more than that. You know, it's your choice who you go with in terms of investment. What else would be beneficial to you? So is it contacts in the market, in the industry? So we kind of went through all of that and built a very, very detailed investor list. And we are going to go out to market now. So it's actually you become you become very immersed with the clients and we're very hands-on in the way that we work. And we want to really guide them all the way through that process in order to get to that point of investment. And actually a really key thing is the legal. So we are, you know, put together the term sheet for the invest for the investment, making sure that 
you know, as a CEO of a small business that you are, you know, your back is covered effectively and that you are being looked after and you feel comfortable that you are entering something, an agreement with an investor where you know what every clause means. And you understand that because you'll be surprised at how many small businesses will sign something away and then won't quite get certain clauses, which are absolutely crucial. And you only realize at some point in the future when it's too late. Yeah, I mean, anybody in that situation should, of course, get legal advice. But I, I guess uh, your experience is is very beneficial to them, and uh, you know, making sure that they understand that thoroughly. So let's turn to the investors' view a little bit, and, and in terms of you know what you're doing to help prepare companies for investment. So from the investors' point of view, uh, actually, b- before we start, that one little question that you can um, maybe answer and clarify. So. You know the terms venture capital and private equity to some people may seem interchangeable, but you know how would you kind of describe the difference between them? I think there, there are probably several differences. So, firstly, risk appetite. So, you know, venture capital will go for smaller businesses, maybe revenue generating, maybe not revenue generating, whereas private equity will go for generally will go for businesses that have had at least three years of trading good trading strong trading shown year-on-year growth the size of the deals will be smaller for vc generally compared to private equity the maturity of the business so a private equity business backed business will be more mature and i guess the the returns are different as well so vc will be looking for higher returns because of the higher risk they're taking because of the point that the business is in their life cycle compared to private equity, which which will be looking for lower returns. So, you know, two, three times, whereas VC will be looking, you know, for, for, for much higher returns. And I guess kind of with a VC fund generally, and I probably, I don't know if I should say this, but the rule of thumb is that, you know, with a VC investment, out of 10 investments, eight may not work, but two will. Whereas in private equity, it's the opposite way around. So it's eight will go right and two may not work. So yes, kind of a quite a different perspective on on things, I guess. So you've worked with a variety of different private equity firms. Do you see a lot of difference in the way they approach investments? You know, are they all completely different or are there a lot of common themes between them? I guess different kind of types of investors will take a different approach. So, for example, that we, you know, if we if we think about angel investors, angel investors generally will invest in a very very early stage businesses. They will offer soft touch, light touch support. So usually it'll be contacts that they have. They won't really request much from the business in terms of you know very strict information requirement. Obviously, you know, they will need information, but it's not as strict as kind of a private equity fund would do, for example. And I guess if you go up the scale then to VC, VC obviously will have information rights. They will be kind of more hands-on and more involved in the business. And and then as you progress through to private equity, again, they will kind of be, you know, hugely involved in the business and and the way it operates because their portfolios will be much smaller compared to a VC. So I guess Within each category of investors, so, you know, angels, EIS, SEIS funds, VCs and private equity, they all probably behave similarly, but I guess different from one type of investor to the, to the other. Yeah. So you like to go on a, a journey yeah. through these. Yeah, and, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Something to expect is that the uh, the investor's view and perspective and, and, and requirements is going to change as you go yeah. through that journey as well. Uh, so perhaps you can boil that down a bit. What are the key points if you had to come up with, I don't know, top three or top five points that a 
a company needs to get right in order to secure investment, what would be the at the top of that list? I think when a business is going out to raise money, they really have to understand. I guess the key thing that an investor looks for is does a business, a business, a new business's product or service, does it solve a problem? And if the answer is yes, how big is that problem? And if it's a big problem, are people willing to pay for it? So they're the key fundamental things to really kind of understand about your business. And if you can answer yes, you know, yes to all of those questions, then, you, you, you know, you've got you in a good starting position. And I guess that boils down to scalability. How scalable is your product or service? Is the market big enough? Or are you going to, you know, you've got, there's this, you know, the market's too small, then you're going to hit a wall and that's it. And if that is the case, then how else can you diversify your business? What can you do? And you need to really think about that, the scale and the opportunity that's out there that your business is presenting. Secondly, I guess the most really important thing for an investor is, are the founders and the management team, are they good custodians of my money? I, are they going to spend it well? And you have to be very clear where you're going to spend the capital that you're raising, what you're going to spend it on and what that will deliver in terms of value to the investor. And that's really important because if you're saying, you know, I'm going to raise X amount and I'm spending it all on marketing, you know, the investors say, well, what will that marketing generate? How many new sales will that generate? And if you don't have those answers, then an investor is not going to pursue that. So you have to be very, very clear about where you're going to spend your money, how you're going to spend it, and also actually showcase your experience, the owner's experience, the management team's experience in terms of within their sector, within their product, within their market, how well do they understand their market and their product. The third thing, I guess, would be that an investor will always look at what the management team have on the line here. How much time have they invested? How much, you know, skin in the game have they got? So have they put blood, sweat and tears into this? And if it goes wrong, what have they got to lose? Because I guess the way, and it's a pretty morbid way of looking at things, but I guess an investor thinks that if a business fails, what are the management team and the founders going to lose? Because when you've got something huge to lose, you're more likely to do anything you can to make it work, which is a really important trait. So I think these things are, you know, pretty fundamental. And then obviously there's, the, the, you know, there's other things like your financials, making sure that the forecast makes sense. They tell the right story. They're up to scrutiny from an investor. So I think they're kind of probably the key things that a business should, should think about before approaching any investor. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Forward Thinking CFO. Numeritas created this podcast as part of our mission to improve the way finance makes decisions. And I hope you find the conversations as useful and interesting as I do. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or just talk privately about a forecasting or modelling challenge. Drop me a message through the contact form on our website at numeritas.co.uk and I'll get back to you. Now, back to the show. You told me before, actually, and this sort of bears out what you've just been saying, that you, you, won't, in, you won't kind of invest in just an idea or you won't commit time somebody it just got an idea. And so also from what you just said, companies need to get to a certain point before they can go looking for an external investment. How do people normally do? I mean, is it just from their own pockets, from friends and family? How do they finance getting to that stage, uh, yeah, mortgaging houses or, or whatever? I mean, I, you know, as, a, as a business owner, I remember what I did and I'm not sure I can broadcast it on air. But, uh, <laughs> 
it was the, the, the I was going to uh, going to build a conservatory and got finance for that, but of course, yeah, the conservatory never got built. That went into <laughs> yeah. the business. So. But you know, is that typical? To, how how do they get to that stage? Yeah, I think you know the early days when somebody has an idea for a business, it's it's really important. It's really hard. It's hard for a number of reasons. Number one, taking the plunge into starting a business is hard. You know, in itself, and you know that's kind of requires a lot of conviction of your idea. And I think it's really, and, and even if you have your own conviction, you need to prove to others why you have that conviction. And I think right at the outset, it's really, really important to undertake as much desktop analysis as possible. So really kind of doing whatever you can with no funding. So really honing in on your product and service. What does that look like? How will it make money? So how are you going to sell that? How much will you sell it for? really identifying your market, your target market, and really kind of honing in on that. So have a kind of picture of your target customer that you would sell your product or service to. You know, where do they work? What do they look like? And then actually go and try and find people like that, that fit your market type and speak to them and ask them, well, would this be useful to you? And Why would it? Or why wouldn't it? Or what more would you want out of it? So learn as much as you can about your idea before you even put any money into it. So I would just say really doing that research at the outset is super, super important. When you do get to a point where you kind of have a lot of answers and you can really talk about it in detail when people do invest, potential investors or even family and friends challenge you about it, you know, the first thing I would do is look at your, in your local area, what grants can you get from the government? Can you get any local support? So can you get any free money? Can you make any applications like that? There are other, you know, great schemes like the Enterprise Investment Scheme and Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, which I think are just incredible. So if you apply for that, any investors in your business get the tax benefit straight away. And then it's a matter of kind of seeing, really kind of thinking about how much money do I need to build, whether it's a prototype or whatever it may be, and how much will it cost? And can I slowly fund that myself whilst I'm working, you know, once you're, whilst you're in full-time employment? can I raise some money from friends and family? So that's generally how people do. I see a lot of the business I speak to have raised money from their own savings, friends and family, or actually the government as well. So various government schemes and grants that they have applied for. And actually some of the business, so Taylor, the business that I was talking about earlier, the CEO who's brilliant, she entered a competition and one small business of the year in Ireland. And she entered a competition and she got funding of around £50,000 for that from the government. And it was government run. So there are loads of actually schemes that are run by the government or by banks, like Barclays do quite a lot as well. So, you know, various banks actually really like to support and find small businesses that are going to be kind of the next, you know, big thing, I guess. I'm sure that's really valuable for anybody who's looking at starting a business. Thanks for that. I would also say on that, sorry, just to kind of as overarching is just tread with caution. So really make sure right at the beginning you do your research because what you don't want to do is use your savings when you haven't looked at every single aspect and risk that could face your business. And I think that's really, really crucial to do that. Yeah, so the head rule the heart. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear about what preferences investors might have and putting them all together sort of private equity and venture capital are there particular sectors that they tend to focus on or favor or does that depend on you know the uh, sort of investment objectives of of each firm and are there fashions in that do things come and go 
I would say generally investors are, so I guess if you look at VC and private equity, they are, there's a lot of generalist investors. There are some specialists. So some funds will invest in, for example, healthcare. There will be a fund dedicated purely to healthcare or biotech, which is very, very specialist. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of specialist funds out there. However, I guess the majority tend to be generalist investors. But when you go down to, I guess, angel investors, angel investors tend to invest in sectors that they know very well, or generally sectors within which they've made their money, which is really advantageous to the businesses in which they invest, because if it is a sector they're familiar with, then they generally have very strong contacts and networks within that industry, which will support the business ultimately. And the best way to find out for, for businesses to find out about investors is, you know, on LinkedIn, you can do research on LinkedIn. There are a lot of small business networks you can join and angel networks that you can join on LinkedIn. And I think when you do join these networks, you'll kind of learn more about who the key investors are and what types of businesses and sectors that they're interested in. Okay. And for venture capital firms and private equity firms, when they're going into or when they're looking at investments, what do they typically have in mind? If they always got the exit in mind or will they be looking at other things at that stage and maybe other stages through in terms of it's perhaps different as well, I guess. This is without any real knowledge of the, the, the subject, but venture capitalists may well be looking to get to a point where they get another big investor in sometime later. Is that, is that how it works or are they always looking at the exit point? I think every investor, one of the first things that every investor thinks about is the exit because they are investing their money in order to make money. And the only way they're going to get their return is at a point in exit. So I think exit is crucial for an investor. That said, the time to get from investment to exit can vary. So as you say, a VC, an angel or VC will look for, potentially look for a bigger investor to come in to take the business to the next level. At that point, the angel or VC may exit at that point because the larger investor will come in and kind of take on their shareholding. However, they may decide to exit partially and leave some in, in order to kind of ride the next part of the growth where the larger private equity will likely play a more dominant role with the business. But I think kind of for any investor, exit is really important. And I think that's why every business going out to look for investment should always be thinking about exit. And the way to think about exit is thinking about before they speak to an investor is to say, think about what's happening in their market. So what other businesses are there similar to yours? And what, what are they doing? Has anybody acquired them? Has anybody sold them? You know, what's happening and how much for? And knowing what's happening with your competitors is really important, but also really kind of think casting the net quite wide and thinking, well, you know, if I'm a retailer, I could say, well, another retailer could be a classic buyer for me in the future, but then cast your net wide and think, well, actually, why else would your business be attractive to another type of buyer? And I guess, you know, when investors do think about exit, there's always kind of, you know, few kind of types of the key types of exit that we look at are trade so selling it to another business within your within your sector a secondary exit which is effectively going from one private equity owner to another investor so another private equity or another type of investor or listing the business on the market so on aim or FTSE in the uk so you know they're kind of generally the exit routes that, that are always reviewed Okay, great. Thanks for that. You've shared some great examples of what companies should do to prepare themselves, but are there any practices that business should avoid or anything that you know you really shouldn't be doing 
if you want to attract investment? Yeah, I think there are quite a few, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long list. Yeah, yeah, there's a long list. I think one of the main things is don't go out and raise money too early. So don't go out and start speaking to investors until you know your business, the risks it faces, the opportunity it presents inside out. And you know that your market is big enough. You know that there's a market out there. So really do your desktop research before you start going out and speaking to investors and before you formulated a really strong investable plan, put together a really strong plan. Secondly, I would say when you are speaking to investors, really know what you're negotiating you know, really know what terms you are signing up to, understand every clause that is within the documentation. And I can't emphasize enough how important that is. And I've spoken to a lot of small businesses that have been presented some terms that I'm shocked. I'm shocked at actually. And, you know, you really have to have your wits about you in terms of what you're signing up to and having really good legal advice commercial legal advice as well is really important. So we actually, when we work with our businesses, we work with, we have partner legal partners that we work with that are highly commercial work in this sector, but we'll apply that knowledge to small businesses where a lot, a lot of small businesses actually don't know where to get that level of support from without having to pay really high costs for, for really good legal advice. So I would just say be very mindful about that. And I would also say, just don't just chase money, you know, make sure that the investors that you're speaking to are right for you, are right fit for your business, that they're bringing more to the table than just money. You know, ideally, that's what you want. You want somebody that has contacts within your sector, somebody that can help really kind of push your business forward in the direction that you want it to go. And also somebody that you can lean on and speak to and go to advice for, because, you know, as we all know, being a CEO, being a founder of your own business, it is hard, you know, and to have that sounding board is is really, really important. And that relationship is a long-term relationship. So you really want to get that right. And, and also understand all your options. So understand that equity may not be the right option for you. You can, there are other forms of capital that you can get. There are other ways of raising money. There are other routes. So really understand all of your options and what they are. And I guess actually avoiding these pitfalls is one of the main reasons that we set up Voyager is to help small businesses to navigate that whole arena because the investment world is really, it is very, very complicated and there's a lot to think about. So that's kind of where we really help businesses to navigate that and make sure that they are looked after throughout that journey. Okay, sort of getting to, to wrapping up now. So we normally ask about when we're interviewing CFOs, what their views over the next few months. But obviously, that's <laughs> an unfair question for you. So from where you sit, do you have any advice for CFOs and well, founders and uh, people in finance about you know, what, what advice you might give them in relation to the current business climate? Yeah, I think the environment now is, you know, it's quite unsettling. There's a lot going on in the world. And I guess I would say really kind of focus on the risks that your business faces, you know, really understand what they are, and understand the, the risks that you can mitigate and implement mitigants, understand what you can't mitigate and what risks that could pose to your business and remain agile in terms of change. So, you know, don't be fixated on what your plan is. Any strategic plan that you have in place, it has to flex based on what's happening internally as well as externally in the market. And then I would also say just don't stop what you're doing. So keep going, just push through, really, you know, stay positive, 
and just remain agile and and understand your customers, really get to know your customers and your suppliers. What are they going through at the moment? How are things impacting them? Because whatever impacts your customers and suppliers is going to impact you. But just kind of cast the net out wide and you know, stay in contact with all your, all the stakeholders within your business, but just keep doing what you're doing. I'd say, don't let it stop because, you know, economic cycles are just going to, you know, they're, they're always there. There's ups and downs constantly. And a really strong team is a team that can withstand the downs as well as absorb, you know, take on board and enjoy the, the ups. Now, if somebody's trying to get hold of you, or is it, you know, interested in what they've heard today and thinks that you might be able to help them, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, they can go to our website, which is voyagercp.com. And there is a contact us page there. So I think it's hello at voyagercp.com that you can email us at or on LinkedIn. So we have a LinkedIn page. I'm on LinkedIn. So part of crowd, I'll be on LinkedIn as well. So you can contact us via the website or via LinkedIn. Terrific. Well, thanks for that. That's uh, brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much for appearing on the Forward Thinking CFO. Thank you very much, Stephen.